Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Television Archive. The show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Fringe. Today we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 21, titled Over There, Part 1. The start... Of an incredible, incredible two-part finale that is just absolutely perfect in literally every way. It is magnificent. It is insane. It is such a huge turning point in the series. It's just magnificent. It is so utterly freaking magnificent, and I love everything about it. And by far the most noteworthy thing about these two episodes, about this two-part finale, is that after quite a long time of talking about it, talking about it, talking about it, and getting, like, tiny glimpse after tiny glimpse after tiny glimpse, we finally get our first substantive look at the other side! And it's amazing. Like, I love the world-building they do with the other side. I love the ways they twist lore, characters, uh, just add in pieces of the world that wouldn't have been there in our universe. Like, of course, we already know about the Zeppelins. There's, like, the freaking Grand Hotel there. We see the Twin Towers uh, standing proud, having not been 9-11. And just... A bunch of other things like that. A bunch of little tiny things that they just slide in there. Just to be freaking awesome. And just to be really freaking cool. Uh, And I'm sure we'll talk about more of these little tiny things. As they show up. And as we talk about. And as they come up in the series. But like. Oh boy. it's, It's always fun. It's always fun to go through the alternate universe. And just see. How things are different to our world. To the world that we've built up on Fringe for two whole seasons. By the way, worth noting, uh, this is the first instance of the red title sequence. uh, Indicating that the episode takes place on the other side. This is another instance of Fringe just playing around with their opening title sequence. Playing around with their opening title cards to... Indicate this is how an episode is different. We had that retro sequence to indicate the 1985 episode with Peter. And now we we have this red sequence to just blanket say this is an episode from the other side. This is an episode that takes place mostly in the other universe. And it's great. And it's awesome. And I freaking love it. And we actually will see this title sequence a lot, particularly in Season 3. Season 3 has a lot of episodes that take place exclusively or almost exclusively on the other side. So we'll be seeing that pop up quite a bit over the course of this series. Uh, But in terms of the lore, uh, I love 
the differences in fringe division in this universe. So on this side, or on this other universe, fringe division is like a full-blown agency. It's an offshoot of the Department of Defense. Uh, They are very well-funded. They have a lot of resources at their disposal. And they end up having to deal with these tears in the universe. Caused by Walter. Uh, These tears in the universe that pop up every once in a while, and they have to do these quarantine protocols, which we haven't seen what those actually are yet. But, uh, oh boy, can I not wait to talk about the implications of those protocols. That'll be cool. That'll be a great little ongoing discussion to have. Uh, but we have that, uh, and they're just dealing with all of these separate phenomenons as a direct consequence to Walter's actions of tearing a hole in the universe to get Peter back. And it's so great to see, like, the consequences of Walter's actions, like, given, like, an actual physical form in these phenomenon, in these tears in the freaking universe... It's amazing. It's absolutely phenomenal uh, to see that. And I love that world building. Uh, Freaking Walter is the Secretary of Defense. Walter is the Secretary of of Defense and is heading up this fringe division. By the way, that's what the whole Mr. Secretary thing was. The ZFT in this universe is not just some random-ass manifesto that William Bell wrote and David Robert Jones turned into a terrorist cell. It's like a book that Walter Bishop wrote and published, and it's all about these holes in the universe that he says are natural but really are not, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, freaking, what was I going to say? There was another thing I had on my mind, but I'm a stupid, I'm a dumb, and I'm the worst. Anyway, uh, I'm sure I'll think of it in a moment, but <laughs> we have like this alternate fringe division that I really, really love and is really cool. Uh, Seeing the characters, the characters we've come to know and love uh, in different ways. Uh, Of course, Walter Nitt, we've already seen a little bit of, but we get more of a substantive look at him here, and he's a lot more stoic. He's a lot more to the point. He's a lot less, well, let's be honest with ourselves, insane. He's a lot more of a force to be reckoned with in this alternate universe. Of course, he's the Secretary of Freaking Defense. Uh, We have Olivia, who is very different personality-wise. She is a lot more outgoing. She is a lot more free-spirited. She is nowhere near as serious as our Olivia. This alternate Olivia definitely is more go-with-the-flow. And, of course, has that... Red hair, which is something. Charlie's alive! Charlie's alive in this universe and has spiders in his blood. (laughs) Why does he have spiders in his blood? Who knows? That's just the thing in this universe. Some people have spiders in their blood. Don't question it. (laughs) You don't know. (laughs) You don't know what this universe has been through. Nixon's on a silver dollar. Anything can happen. <laughs> uh, freaking. 
Uh, Astrid. There we go. That's the character I was about to say the name of. Uh, alternate Astrid is like this, um, human calculator, almost. Uh, they never, I don't think they ever say it outright in this show, but it's very heavily implied that she has autism. I feel seen <laughs> as someone who very much has autism. Uh, wish I was as badass as alternate Astrid, but... Hey, I at least fall under the same level. <laughs> I at least fall under the same label. By the way, I love Astrid. I absolutely adore that character. I will never stop adoring that character. But let's be honest with ourselves. Alternate Astrid's a much more interesting character in every possible way. And we'll talk about her a lot as this series goes on. But she is objectively more interesting of a character. Like, I think... Astrid is one of the few characters in this series. Maybe the only character where her alternate is more interesting and is a better character than her Prime Universe counterpart. But I love both Astrids. Both Astrids are awesome. Let me be clear about that. But like, I don't know. I think Astrid's the only one where it's just like the alternate one is more interesting. The alternate one is just a better character. Uh, and then there's this Lincoln guy who we'll see a lot of in... Coming episodes, maybe not just on the other side, just, uh, just saying. Uh, Broyles, let me be honest, Broyles is mostly the same, but he doesn't wear suits. He doesn't wear suits. We actually learn a lot more about alternate Broyles in coming episodes. I don't mean to say, <laughs> I don't mean to say that they don't do anything with alternate Broyles. I don't mean to say that the alternate Broyles is exactly the same. Like his life worked out in a very different way that we'll explore in later episodes, but in this episode, they don't spend enough time with alternate Broyles to really <laughs> show much difference. He doesn't wear suits. He doesn't wear suits. By the way, okay, we need to have a serious conversation about faces on the money in this universe. Because they pull out a 20. And instead of Andrew Jackson on the $20 bill, it's Martin Luther King Jr. on the $20 bill. Objectively, this sounds like a much better universe to be living in. And one that I would rather spend time in than the one we're currently in when Andrew Jackson is still for some reason on the $20 bill... When everyone almost universally agrees that he sucked. But then you realize that Nixon's on the silver dollar and you're like, oh, no, that balances out. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I've just been thinking a lot since watching this episode again, since rewatching this episode. I've been thinking way too much about the faces on the money in this universe. And it's just like, it's haunted me. It's really haunted me. Quite honestly. That and the spider blood. Why are there spiders in people's blood in this universe? You know what? I rescind my statement. As much as I'd love to see Martin Luther King Jr. on the $20 bill, this universe is objectively worse. I don't want to live in a world where there's a chance I could have spiders in my blood. It's bad enough I have IBS. Like, I just... <laughs> I don't need spider blood, too. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is a long-winded way of saying that, uh, alternate universe is cool. I love alternate universe. Honestly, so, I've been very public on Clark Film in particular as saying that alternate universes are something I adore. I love multiple multiverse stories 
in science fiction, uh, stuff that the DCCW universe has done. Counterpart is an excellent series that uh, everyone should watch. A bunch of others. I tried my hand writing a multiverse story, and then I got bored of it because, I don't know, I have a touch of ADHD, I guess. <laughs> I really should go back to that. I was actually interested in the world I was creating. Uh, I just got bored. Uh, <laughs> just got bored with the process of writing. Uh, but Fringe is absolutely what got me interested in multiverse. Fringe is absolutely the show, the story that got me interested in alternate universes. And I uh, love everything about it. Uh, and this this two-part episode is a large part of why. Because we got this like big info dump of alternate universe stuff. Oh, by the way, Olivia has a... As a boyfriend in this universe, and, I mean, I'm straight, but I'm not blind. Dude's freaking hot. <laughs> Just objectively. Again, straight, not blind. <laughs> the man is very attractive. Man, it says a lot about how packed these episodes are that we're literally... 13 minutes into the recording, almost, and I haven't even gotten to the actual story of the episode yet. <laughs> this is how packed, this is how packed these episodes are. I'm telling you, the, both of these episodes, both of the discussions of both of these episodes are going to be long as hell. I, I, I'm warning you now. <laughs> There's a lot. There's a lot to unpack here. Uh, but anyway... I also gotta say, as long as we're talking about the building of this alternate universe, I gotta talk about how great that opening sequence is, uh, where we have the flash forward to uh, Olivia Walter and the Cortexa fan kids showing up on the other side from the alternate universe's perspective, and we see, like, Lincoln and Olivia and Charlie from the other side going in and think of this as a normal breach, a normal fringe event and like almost quarantining and it's just like this like you get this first look at what the other side is you get this first look at what the hell is happening on the other side and what the hell that universe looks like and it's just such a cool scene it really pulls you in immediately and you're immediately like i want to know more about this world <laughs> I want to know more about this universe. I need it. I need more of this universe in my life. I don't know why I'm Southern now, but it, this is what's happening. Just deal with it. But anyway, we get that opening sequence. It's amazing. Red title card, which is cool. And then we go back to 36 hours earlier. We have the surveillance footage of Walternet approaching Peter, and Walternet's like, Hey, uh, I can take you back to where you belong, but if you come with me, you'll never be able to come back here. You have to make a decision, Pierce. Like, okay, sure, let's go. I'll leave behind everything I have ever known. So casually, by the way, he's just like, yeah, cool, let's go. Which is just a crushing blow to Walter. Uh, but then it becomes very clear very, very quickly that they cannot let Peter just go away and that be the end of it. Because... Walter remembers the Observer's warning now. That warning he alluded to in Brown Betty. And an Observer comes and drops off a piece of paper next to Olivia at the bar. And that piece of paper 
Shows like Peter with his eyes on fire. And this machine. And Walter then remembers, like, the Observer's warning of, like, never let Peter go back to the other side. Or else something very, very bad will happen. Like, never let Peter go back. Or else something horrible will take place. And the drawing depicts exactly that happening. In the words of Walter, my son will be responsible for the end of the world. Quite literally, if Peter doesn't come back to this side, the world will end and Peter will be responsible for it. So now this goes to, oh god, I guess we gotta say goodbye to our friend to, oh my god, we need to get him back right now. This is literally a matter of life or death for like, 7 billion. Actually, I think at the time it was still 6 billion people. I don't remember when populations turned and all that. I don't know. By the time this episode goes up, it'll probably be 8 billion at this point. I don't even know. Uh, but... <laughs> so... We go into Overdrive to try and find a way to the other side. And worth noting, by the way, this machine looks like William Bell technology. To the point where Broyles even storms into Massive Dynamic and is like, We have reason to believe you're developing weapons for the other side. And like just slaps the drawing down and is just like, We need all the information from the other universe. And Nina's like, okay, whoa, 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 no. This this looks a hell of a lot like William Bell's technology, but we did not build it. That was not Massive Dynamic. That was not us. I have no idea what this is. And she is a lot more sincere than she usually is when denying something. Like, usually when she denies something, she has, like, this cold smile on her face. And it's just like, you can't prove anything. Massive Dynamic does not take responsibility for this. Now she's just like, okay, no, 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 no. We did not build that. That is not a thing that we have touched. That's fully wrong. Uh, But we're trying to find a way to get to the other universe. Now, of course, Walter can't... Uh, go over to the other side the way he did before in 85 because last time that uh, put both universes on the path towards destruction, uh, if he does that again, there's a pretty damn good chance that that'll just rip both worlds apart. Like, just instantly. So, not the best idea. That would be... That would be preferable not to do that. And whatever the hell William Bell does to get over to the other side. That can't work either. Because if you go to the other side too much. If you go to the other side and zap yourself over there and zap yourself back too many times. Your molecules apparently become unstable as hell. Whatever William Bell's been doing to get over there, we don't even know how. Whatever William Bell's been doing, it has been really, really bad on his system. And it's a, there's a good chance he has not come back because he's afraid that he will just poof into nothing. If he tries it again. So... Whatever he's been doing, just zapping himself. Basically, if you want to go over there, either use the soft spots that are already there, 
like David Robert Jones did, wait for a convergence like Thomas Jerome Newton did to bring Walternet over here, or essentially invite terrible, terrible things to happen. But there is another option. Cortexafan. Remember, Olivia herself has gone over there before because of Cortexafan. She has accidentally gone over to the other side via Cortexafan. Or Bell brought her over through means we still have no idea how it happened. So, she can go over there, it's just she can't really control it. But, she could control it better if there were more Cortexafan subjects working on it. But, problem is... Every Cortexafan subject is either dead, off the grid, or cannot control their powers. So that's out. Or so we think. Enter Broyles and Nina's little side project of recruiting Cortexafan kids and helping them to control their powers so that they can be used as assets. And so we go over there, we see how this has progressed, and we have three... Candidates who have controlled their abilities, including Nick Lane and James Heath, both of whom we've seen before. And, yeah, there's this Sally Clark chick who is a pyrokinetic now. Basically, I'm guessing she's there because the actress who played Nancy Lewis didn't want to come back. (laughs) I'm guessing. (laughs) So they're just like, and we have another pyrokinetic lady. They did, by the way, very much establish that they were able to find more. It's just these three are the most promising. So I'm sure Nancy Lewis is still in the world somewhere, working to control her powers. It's just, she's not there yet. We've also established, by the way, that there's more pyrokinetics in the Cortexafan trials than just those two twins in the first season. So I make it. I make a joke, but this is not outside the realm of possibility. Like, this is not just, like, clearly there's a production reason why it's not Nancy Lewis, but there's a logical world reason why there's not Nancy Lewis, another pyrokinetic that's not Nancy Lewis there. So whatever, whatever, whatever. Pyrokinetic uh, appears to be a fairly common trait among Cortex of Fan Kids. Anyway. So, they've all found a way to control their abilities. James Heath can cure disease, not cause them. Nick Lane's empathic abilities are under control. Uh, This Sally Clark chick's pyrokinesis is under control. Everything is great with these kids. And now they're going to help us cross over to the other side. And I adore this moment where these Cortexafan kids confront Walter. And Walter... For the first time is like, yeah, I did terrible things to all of you. What I did was inexcusable, but we had very good intentions. Uh, We believed that one day we would need children like you, people like you, to save possibly both worlds, but definitely ours. And now, today is that day. What I didn't know is that 
you were here to save my son. And, like, he apologizes. He apologizes to these Cortexa fan kids in mass uh, for what he did to them. And it's just like, I'm going to go have a cry now. Uh, unless, unless you guys want to kill me, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go cry my eyes out. And I love the moment where Nick, Nick Lane is like, man, he is not the same as I remember him. And then James Heath's like, he's exactly the same. So it's like just this ongoing question of how much of Walter's old self is still baked inside of him. Like, it's just... It's a great moment. It's really, really fantastic. And then after a night off of uh, curing people with cancer and giving nieces cross necklaces, possibly indicating that she believe that Olivia believes she's going to die, uh, and empathic, sexy times. Then we do the whole crossing over to the other side. And we have that great moment where Olivia, James Heath, Sally Clark, and Nick Lane are all in a circle, arms outstretched, Walter in the center. And they do that great thing with the very dizzying cinematography, by the way. I'm going to be honest. Every time I watch this moment, like, I have to fight myself to not turn <laughs> turn away. I have to fight myself to not look at the ground like... Uh, mm, mm. <laughs> it's very dizzying. <laughs> they move the camera around in circles quite a lot, very fast. Uh, I'm glad I'm not full-blown motion sick. I'm glad I'm not prone to motion sickness. Otherwise, I would absolutely throw up every time this scene happens. But it's enough to make even the strongest of anti-motion sick people, uh, to make e- even people with the strongest resolves, get a little weird. Uh, but... We cross over to the other side, and it doesn't go great, with the exception of Olivia. Pretty much everyone's Cortexafan powers turn into overdrive, uh, and start working against them. They start to lose control in a way that they did before. Uh, James immediately... Uh, like, just collapses and dies of, like, tumor overgrowth. Similar to how his victims did when, uh, when he was losing control, when he didn't have control of his powers. Uh, frickin' Nick Lane loses his empathic abilities. Sally Clark is burning up. Uh, and they're, like, barely, barely able to just limp by. Oh, by the way, I totally forgot, um, this entire universe runs on IDs now that are literally called show-me's. So, apparently, bus fare is no longer bus fare. It's just, show me your ID. You have to have identification to ride this bus. Which is mildly disturbing. I'm just gonna say that. And they're going throughout the city, uh, going to meet William Bell. Uh, Nina Sharp sent a message to William Bell that may or may not have gone through to meet uh, Olivia at... Central Park at such and such time on the other side. Meanwhile, there's a lot of other stuff happening. Uh, Walternate calls in Lincoln, Olivia, and Charlie and briefs them on the fact that, hey, uh, so I've been saying these breaches are natural, 
they are not natural. I've been saying there's nothing on the other side. There's definitely something on the other side. Another freaking universe. Uh, and the other universe is responsible for these breaches, and it's very likely that the man you found, uh, dead is from the other side, and also, uh, I don't believe these invaders are peaceful, so capture them now. Okay, I just, uh, completely, uh, shattered your entire perception of reality. Bye. <laughs> That's basically how this conversation goes. Uh, and it's... It, it's the first moment we see Walternet being in that position of authority, and it's pretty good. <laughs> it's a pretty good moment. Uh, we also have Peter awakening in this other universe, and meeting the alternate version of his mother, or rather, his actual mother. Uh, alternate Elizabeth, not dead, not having killed herself. Uh, we have this nice little mother-son reunion that is really well done. Uh, she makes bacon which Peter is very surprised about because, like, mother from the other side was a vegetarian, and until now he thought he imagined having bacon as a kid. Uh, but, like, they talk. Peter tells her all about her counterpart on our universe. And it's a lovely, lovely moment. And then she's like, hey, uh, so Walter's in the city right now, but... Uh, he asked me to show you these blueprints for this machine, uh, that he wants help with, uh, here you go, see if you can make sense of any of this, and it is, of course, the machine from that drawing. So, Walter has knowledge of this machine, and wants Peter's help with it, again, let me remind you, this machine and Peter are fated to destroy the world. After that observer drawing got dropped off. So, yeah, <laughs> there's that. But we have that subplot going on. And then we go to the park. And we have this big climactic scene where they're there. And then Fringe Division comes in and ambushes them. And we have this big chase. Walter and Olivia run away. Uh, Nick Lane and Sally Clark get cornered on the bridge, uh, this Lincoln guy is, has got them in a standoff, he's shot Nick, he's bleeding out, he's dead, and then Sally's like, you know what, screw you, and then just lets all of her energy out, goes nuts, and burns herself and Nick alive, well, actually, Nick was already dead by this point, but you get the point, she, uh, oh god, what was, what was the name of Nancy Lewis's twin? The one who actually got dead? I can't remember. Uh, she that personed herself. And burned Lincoln. And he's got like third degree burns across 90% of his body now. Apparently in this universe, that's not a big deal. Apparently in this universe, they could just put him for a few weeks in this like nanite regeneration chamber. And he'll be good as new after a while. Man, I mean, there's a lot of drawbacks to this universe, but... All in all, there's some pretty cool shit. <laughs> it's not all bad. I can burn my entire body and somehow that's fine. Cool. 
awesome. Great. <laughs> like, we have, by the way, like, very much established that this universe is technologically advanced. Way more so than our universe. So, I'm I'm talking about how, like, oh my god, this is a thing somehow. Like, just, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> like, they're more technologically advanced. We've established this. We know about the shapeshifters. We know about that modern marvel of bioengineering. So, why not? Why not have, like, a nanite regeneration chamber that magically heals your entire body being burned. Cool. Awesome. Like, that, that that makes sense to me, given how technologically advanced this alternate universe is. But Walter and Olivia escape and get separated. Walter is shot and collapses in front of a hospital. And Olivia just decides, hey, you know what? I'm going to... St- Stock my doppelganger. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just going to stock my other self. Because why the hell not? I don't have any better ideas. We'll see what happens. And then William Bell meets her there and is like, Yeah, I knew I knew you were gonna be here. Uh I, I know, I know this looks bad. I know you set a time and place to meet, and then Fringe Division showed up at that exact time and that exact place to to arrest you. I know that looks bad, but you have to trust me. Walter's in trouble, and I am confident we don't have a lot of time. So, yeah. Uh, do what you will with that information. <laughs> Believe me or not, but this is the reality. This is what's happening. <laughs> and then we get this ending where Walter Nate goes to this little secret chamber and has this machine that was in this drawing fully built and he has another version of that drawing. So he knows what this means for Peter. He knows... Peter's going to destroy the world. He knows that prophecy. And he's just cool with it. He just has it there and he has that machine. And it's very heavily implied that Waldronet just wants to destroy our world. And that's where it ends. That's the end of part one of two. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. That happened. Not much more to say. (laughs) Besides that, uh, I'll just shut up before I accidentally spoil something from part two. For the people who haven't seen this before. Uh, But anyway, yeah. Cool, uh, cool stuff. Amazing, amazing first part of this finale. Uh, If you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives. You can be here. Every single Monday through Friday, as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. Feel free to call in, as well as simply just push the button on the Anchor app. I'll play those on the show from time to time, if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TomTom4468. And support the show, Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark, pledge just a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. If you become a patron, you can also get access to the Television Archive Supplemental, which I'll be putting up there once every month. 
Or, if that's not work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Tomorrow we will be discussing Season 2, Episode 22, the season finale. Talk to you then.